grateful It's got my mind on you And everywhere I turn is a reminder Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. And the Bible affirms his deity in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, which say this. For the gospel concerning the grace of God has appeared to all men. I was having an argument with a guy this week who was saying that there are places in the world who don't know about Jesus Christ. False. Absolutely false. The gospel concerning the grace of God has appeared to all men. It's been made absolutely obvious to all, both from the outside and from the inside of men, bringing salvation, a salvation offer to all men. Titus 2.12, instructing us believers in Christ to deny ungodliness and unworldly desires and to live self-controlled, righteous, and godly lives in the present evil age. Titus 2.13, looking with absolute confidence for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, the Christ, Jesus. Titus 2.14, who gave himself as a sacrifice for us at the cross to redeem us from every lawless deed, meaning he paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. They were imputed to him, credited to his account, and judged once and for all time, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, a people zealous to do good deeds. Who says the Bible never said that Jesus Christ is God? A lot of my Muslim friends say that, but it says so right here, that he is God. Now, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. We make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of unbelievers to give them the gospel message, which is introducing the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. The Lord's arms are wide open to the unbelieving ones. John chapter three, chapter 6, verse 37 says this, And the ones who come to me to believe in me, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will certainly not cast them out. I will certainly not send them into the outer darkness, the lake of fire. God's arms are wide open to unbelievers. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of Christians as well. 
For those of us who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of his word. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Lord commands his believers to grow within the sphere of his grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're going to put that up? Thank you. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And why do we study the word of God? We study the Bible to allow God's truths to shape our reality. Let me repeat that. We study the Bible to allow God's truth to shape our reality. The Bible contains his exact thoughts in written word developed specifically to edify us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say this. All scripture is God-breathed. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God might be mature, totally equipped for every good work. I had a little argument about that, too. The good, good place to get, get into arguments is at weddings. And I did a wedding this weekend. And so the guy was trying to tell me that the Bible is not inspired by God. It does not come from God. Okay, well, great. Then that's your viewpoint. What's your source of truth? Well, I study history. Okay, well, good luck with that. Because the Bible is history, only it's accurate. God has an enemy, and this is what my buddy was missing. God has an enemy, Satan, who made God the ruler of this world. And in John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned at a future time. As we get deeper into Paul's letter to the Colossians, he will warn us about false teachers and false teaching. The world is full of false teachers and false teaching who are spreading lies and destructive heresies. Satan is the sponsor of these charlatans. I was asked at least 10 times at the wedding, what denomination are you? Christian. Well, I mean, I know you're Christian, but there are a lot of denominations. Which denomination are you? Christian. See, there are Christians, and then there are the religious. And one is sponsored by God. Christianity is a relationship with God, and religion is something else. And that's Satan's strategy against the human race. Wow, I never heard that before. Where were you listening? You're not going to hear it in your house. You're not going to hear it unless you get in front of somebody who's teaching it. Where are you going to hear it? So they're pretending like they know all this stuff. All they know is all the stuff that they picked up from Pastor so-and-so, and they haven't bothered to check whether it's true or not. So there are counterfeiters of truth who are just like Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15 say this, Such men and that's a reference to false teachers, are counterfeit apostles, deceitful workers, which means liars, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. What do counterfeiters do? They counterfeit with the truth. Their lies are so close to the truth that they seem true. But there's always a left turn. 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen. Therefore, it is not surprising 
if Satan's servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They are not servants of righteousness. They are servants of unrighteousness. And their end will be according to their deeds. And what are their deeds? Their deeds are rejecting Christ. And what happens when you reject Christ? The lake of fire, when you close your eyes in this life. So keep your spiritual eyes open, believers in Christ, for Satan's deceptions. Today's Bible lesson, God wants you to learn so you can win. God wants you to learn so that you can win. Everyone wants to be a winner. At least that's what people like to say. But not everyone is committed to the effort required to win. In today's lesson, the Apostle Paul shares the components of a winning lifestyle, the Christian way of living, in the passage we'll study as we continue our look at the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians. Well, let's hear some music. It's always good for believers in Christ to remind themselves that happiness is a choice. Let me repeat that, because I don't believe you heard me. Happiness is a choice. It's not a destination. It's not something that a pigeon flies over you and dumps on your head. It is a choice. And it's always good for us to remind ourselves of that. Psalm 34, verses 17 to 19, say this. The righteous, that's a reference to believers in Christ, cry. And the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all of their troubles. How many of their troubles? I didn't hear you. All. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous ones, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And that's why the group King and Country encourages us to have joy down, down, down in our heart, heart, heart. Lately I've been really watching the nightly news. Don't seem to find the rhythm, just want to sing the blues. Feels like a song that never stops. Feels like it's never gonna Gotta get that fire, fire back in my bones Before my heart, heart turns into stone So somebody please pass the megaphone I'll shout it on the count of three
Grateful Heavenly Father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for giving us the victory through your Son's work at the cross. Thank you for counting us worthy to share in the inheritance you have provided to the saints, us believers in Christ, who walk in the light of your presence. Thank you for providing us with written wisdom in the Bible that gives us spiritual understanding, so there is no need for us to be confused about you or about what you think. Teach us to love our enemies unconditionally just as you do. Show us how to spread the gospel message with confidence in this lost and dying world. Give us the courage to press on in the face of adversity of today's world without losing hope and without losing our focus on you and on all the members of the Godhead, including our mentor and teacher, God the Holy Spirit. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, God wants you to learn so you can win. The passage under study is Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And as we continue to go into the depth of the passage, it's becoming obvious how deeply this letter reaches into the very bowels of Scripture. And like the connective tissue of the body, it keeps on reminding us that all Scripture is a magnificent whole, a single, excellent, edifying message that God has for us about what works in this life. In Colossians 1, 1 and 2, Paul introduces himself. Here's what he says, a letter from Paul, an apostle of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, by spiritual gift, an apostle, by means of the will of God the Father himself, 
along with Timothy, our brother, who is with Paul as a co-worker and a co-author, writing a letter to the saints, those who are believers in Christ and those who are the holy and faithful brethren in union with Christ who are at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Next, Paul gives thanks for the group of believers in Colossae and its surrounding area who have learned the gospel and responded positively to it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 through 8, says this, we Paul, uh, we, Paul referring to himself and Timothy, always give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for all you Colossian believers. One of the fundamental principles of Christianity is gratitude. One of the fundamental principles of relationships is gratitude. And that's something that we absolutely forget. One of the fundamental principles of relationships is loyalty. And that's something that we always forget as human beings. But Paul is lauding the Colossian believers for being loyal to the gospel message that they learned and for being grateful for the gospel message that they learned. Colossians chapter 1 verse 4. Because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus from Epaphras. And we heard of the unconditional love which all of you have for God's saints. That's what you see in believers in Christ who are hearing the word and living the word. You don't see people who are hearing the word and doing a whole different lifestyle. You see people who are hearing the word and doing the word because the word goes into us and then shows up in how we interact in the world. And what I see typically when Christians are listening to the word is this spirit of nonsense, a spirit of boredom where, where this is like everything else. It's not. This is not like anything else. You're not hearing this kind of truth when you turn on your radio or you turn on your podcast or you turn on your books or when you people in Arizona drive up to Sedona and stand in front of the mountain at the vortex with your crystals. That's, that's not this. This is real and this is serious and this makes a difference in life. And, you know, I've never read a self-help book that calmed me down in a period of time where I had a lot of stress in my life. Never. It doesn't calm you down. It actually fires you up. The Word of God, five minutes of it, calms you down. It relaxes you. It gets into you. And it takes all of your lousy perspective and corrects it. It's supernatural. It's not a game, but Christians treat it like it's just, everything, just like everything else, like it's a game. It's not. Coloss and, and you know how, how that treatment of it as everything else manifests? That if there is a lesson from 6 to 8 on uh, Sunday night, that maybe that's not the time that we have allocated to do something to edify ourselves. Maybe we have that time dedicated to doing something else, like sleeping or goofing around or going to dinner or other things. As if this is just like sleeping or goofing around or going to dinner. It's not. It's a way different. This is amazing. And that other stuff is okay. And believe me, when you die, 
everything that's in, in your soul that you take in during these lessons is going with you. Your dinner, your goofing around, and your sleeping is not going with you. This isn't like everything else. And so many times we just treat it so casually and so complacently like it's not something special. It's special. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. Because the faith and unconditional love you have comes from the hope stored up for all of you in heaven. That's why the Colossian believers were so excited. They heard the message and what they knew is they have a hope stored up for, him, for them in heaven. And that hope is elpis in the Greek. It's absolute confidence. They are absolutely confident that they have stored up for themselves in heaven a mansion. They are totally confident that what they have stored up for them in heaven is something that cannot be taken from them, that is imperishable, undefiled, where moth and rust don't destroy. They have an inheritance. You may not get an inheritance from your parents, but you have an, an inheritance from Jesus Christ. And that inheritance is something that you can't lose and that nobody can take away from you. This is special. This is not a joke. And people treat it like it's a joke. It's not a joke, and it's certainly not a joke to me. Because of the faith and unconditional love all of you Colossian believers have comes from the, he- the hope stored up for all of you in heaven, of which hope all of you previously heard in the word of truth, the true gospel, and you responded to it. Now, why does, the, why does Paul bother to say the true gospel? Because there are false gospels. Why does Paul bother to talk about Jesus? Because there's a counterfeit Jesus. There's another Jesus. I had a guy talking to me this weekend, and he said, well, Allah is said to be the God of Abraham, and Jesus is said to be the God of Abraham, so they're the same, right? No, they're not. But what does a counterfeiter do? A counterfeiter takes what is true and makes what is false similar. So if you look at the similarities, you're never going to see the lie. You have to look at the differences. And he said, oh. Wow, I've never heard that. Yeah, because what are you listening to? You know what he's listening to? He's listening to himself. You listen to yourself about your life? Heaven help you. Amen? Amen. You don't want to say amen because you're listening to yourself. Oh, how I feel. How you feel doesn't matter. What God says matters. It matters a lot. And these Colossian believers were excited because they knew they had an inheritance. They knew they were listening and responding to the true gospel, not a false gospel. Colossians 1.6, the gospel which has come to you just as it is coming to others all throughout the world. You see that? It comes to you. Passive voice. The gospel is always being done to you. You don't have to go get it. If, if it's left up to you to go get it, you're never going to go get it. Read Romans 3. God indicts the human race. He says, you, you, there is none of you who are righteous, not even one. You don't, you don't care about God. You don't know anything about God. You don't come to God. 
And what is he? Well, okay, well, if I don't know anything about God and I don't come to God, how do I get God? Oh, I leave my 99 righteous sheep in the pasture and go look for the one who's lost. And if you're lost, Jesus is saying, I will take a risk and leave my righteous ones alone to go look for you and bring you to the fold. And when I bring you to the fold, there'll be more joy in heaven for you than for the 99 righteous ones who need no repentance, no change of mind about Christ because they already did it. That's how you get saved. Because God cares about every one of you. Does Allah, does Muhammad, does Joseph Smith, does the Pope? No. They don't care about you. And how do I know that? Because they're not teaching you the truth. They're teaching you lies that counterfeit the truth and will send you straight to hell if you decide with your own choice, your own volition, that that's what you want to follow. I had one guy telling me, you know, maybe Judas is really saved and Jesus was just using him to betray himself so that he could get killed so he could pay for the sins of the world. Does that even sound like it makes any sense? That makes no sense. You see why I don't like going to weddings? That's why I don't like going to weddings, because I don't listen to all this. As soon as, when, when I go up to people, and hey, I, my name is Rory. They look at you like, well, who are you? And I say, well, I'm the pastor. I'm going to be doing the, oh, pastor, pastor, pastor. Oh, Pastor. Then all of a sudden I become special? Yeah, right. If I'm not special when I'm just Rory, then I'm not special when I'm a pastor. Phony. That's phoniness. That's not Christianity. And a lot of people are running their lives that way. Just first class phonies. No need. No need. This is special. What we're doing here is special. That's what the book of Colossians is all about. It's all about telling us what's special. These first 14 verses, nothing. You wait till we get to verse 15. You wait till you hear the description of the person that you worship. The preeminent one. The one who is first in everything. The one who there's nobody like him. There is none like you. All these songs that are sung about him are just amazing. I see you in everything all day. You know why you see him in everything all day? Because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. What did David say? If I hid in Sheol, if I hid down in hell, you're there too. That's who we worship. This is special. It's not a joke. Colossians 1.6, the gospel, which has come to you, just as also it is coming to others all throughout the world. The gospel message that keeps on bearing fruit and keeps on increasing. Oh, well, what if, what if the little children in the middle of Africa didn't know about Jesus Christ? Impossible. Colossians 1.6, the gospel, which has come to you. Colossians 1, the other part of 1.6. Even as the gospel message also has been bearing fruit and increasing among all of you since the day you heard of it and truly understood God's grace. It's impossible for the gospel message not to get all over the world. Why? Because when you say 
that it doesn't get all over the world. What you're saying is God doesn't have all the power. He does. He's omnipotent. When you say that there are other Gospels other than the ones in the Bible, what you're saying is God is too weak to prevent penetration of false Gospels, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Thomas, that he's too weak to prevent penetration of those Gospels into the inerrant canon of Scripture. What you're saying is you don't know that there is a thing called canonicity and that an unbeliever created canonicity. He created a way to assess whether a biblical book was canonical. And one of the things that has to be present in a canonical book, a book that's in the Bible, is there has to be perfect consistency between the book and everything it's connected to within the Bible. If you go into the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, you will see the Bible, you will see the Doctrines and Covenants, you will see the Book of Mormon, you will see the Pearls of Great Price, and they contradict each other. They don't pass the test of canonicity. But do people know that? No, because they're too busy on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and they, they spend eight to ten hours a day on that, but they don't want to spend one single second on the Bible. And when they spend two hours on the Bible, even those of us who spend two hours on the Bible, we're so bored that this doesn't penetrate. Or at least you think it doesn't. But see, it's supernatural. And it's in there causing a conflict in you between its truth and all that crap that you got in there that you carry around every day. All those false thoughts that couldn't be successful in a second. Even as the gospel message also has been bearing fruit and increasing among all of you since the day you heard of it and truly understood God's grace. Colossians chapter 1 verse 7. Just as all of you, Colossian believers, learned the gospel message from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who was a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Colossians 1.8, and Epaphras also informed you, informed us of your unconditional love in the Spirit, in Numadi. As believers in Christ, we are in Christo Iesus. In Christo Iesus, we are in union with Christ. We are in Numadi. We're in union with the Holy Spirit. We are in Pater. We're in union with God the Father. And we are the only group of believers who are completely indwelled by the entire Trinity. You are special if you're a believer in Christ in this age. Do you know that? What's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? That was another question I got. The Old Testament is to the Jews. And what they were to learn from its rituals is that they can't keep the law, therefore they need a Savior to pay for their sins. The Old Testament pointed ahead to the cross. It pointed ahead to the guy who was going to voluntarily go to the cross to die 
for our sins and in three hours pay for every sin we'd ever commit past, present, and future. We are now in the age of grace. We're on the other side of the cross. And this side of the cross is all about unconditional love and forgiveness plus grace. It's different. Hmm. They must not be talking about that on Maury Povich's show. They may, may not be talking about that on The Voice. They, they got What do they got on The Voice now? Avatars, the, you know, where people are in the back and there's an avatar up front singing. Wow. That's just amazing stuff, man. Can't wait to get home and hear that. Amen? Uh-huh. You don't want to say nothing. You don't want to say anything. Whatever. I don't care what TV show. All those TV shows are bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she can tell. I may be using the wrong TV show, but I bet you she can tell me what the right TV show is. <laughs> Paul's prayer for the Colossians and for all believers in Christ is spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding from the source of God the Father. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. This is the part, the section that we'll be looking at tonight, beginning at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we, Paul referring to himself, heard the report of your faith at Colossae, we have not stopped praying for all of you Colossian believers, and we have not stopped asking that all of you may be filled with the knowledge of God the Father's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what we pray for. How often do you pray for that? How often do you pray for that for yourself? How often do you pray for that for others? Spiritual wisdom and understanding, because that is what's amazing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, so that all of you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Do you? To please him in all respects. Do you? Bearing fruit in every good work. Do you? And increasing in the knowledge of God the Father. Do you? Or do you get yourself involved in petty human conflicts that are no reflection whatsoever of those amazing things that the Lord expects from us? Colossians 1.11. Strengthened with all power. What kind of power? Divine power, dunamis, svaiya, the sphere of power that comes from God according to his glorious might. What is glorious might? It's the kind of might that if you saw it, you would fall flat on your face. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. That's what Christianity takes, steadfastness and patience. Colossians 1.12, joyously giving thanks to God the Father, who has qualified us believers in Christ to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 1.13 For God the Father rescued us believers in Christ from the domain of darkness, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his Son, whom the Father loves, the Lord Jesus. Colossians 1.14 The Christ, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering. 
And then we'll look at the third section of this passage verse by verse to see what God wants us to know about the winning lifestyle. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite. We'll all never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying who do you think you are I say I'm I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, God wants you to learn so you can win. God wants you to learn so you can win spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Well, tonight my prayer is that God the Holy Spirit opens your heart with a spirit of generosity. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 says, The one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him for his good deed. It's my sincere hope that the Lord gives you a burning desire to provide your treasure to serve those who are spiritually poor. In fact, to those who are spiritually bankrupt, we think we give to churches. We don't give to churches. We don't give to pastors. We don't decide to give because we got some persuasive message from some human being. We give because that is what we're motivated to do from the inside. And we give to the Lord. And the Lord takes what we give and distributes it where it is necessary. And through the power of the Internet, our message gets a lot of places. We keep investigating different things. We investigated the app recently, and we found out that we're reaching a lot of people. And so we look in here, and we see a lot of empty chairs, but there are a lot of full chairs on the Internet. And as a matter of fact, maybe one of these days real soon, we'll just be an Internet ministry. We won't even bother with this face-to-face stuff. We'll just do it on the Internet. Because that's what people, that's the lifestyle people want anyway. That's the lifestyle people want. They just want to stare at their phone. You know, and maybe we'll just do that, right? Because that's about $26,000 a year cheaper than coming here every week. Amen? You get that? Yeah, I don't like it either. I don't like it either. I don't like the idea of it. But I tell you what what idea I really don't like is if I end up having to pay <laughs> the twenty six grand to be here. Amen? Because I did that to get this started. I don't necessarily want to do it again. Even though I would. So your generosity is the means by which we can distribute the gospel message through this ministry so that it can be enjoyed all around the world. I had a great experience in, uh, on one of my trips recently where a guy comes up to me and he says, you know, and I, I, one of the things I like about homeless guys is they have got the best pity faces on the planet, you know. So they come up to you, oh, hey, man, with the pity face. I got a pity face right now. And he said, oh, you know, can you help me, man? Could you give me, give me some spare change? So I reach into my pocket. I, I don't know. The Spirit tells me whether to give to these guys or not, honestly. There's sometimes when I get a feeling like, no, I'm not giving you anything. And there's sometimes I get a feeling that I should give. But generally speaking, my policy as a human being is if you ask me for something on the street, I'm going to reward your boldness by doing it. So I reached into my pocket and I gave him a dollar. And he looks down at the dollar and he looks at it like it's, you know, like, what's a dollar? You know, and I said, well, you know, I mean, hey, man, I got a credit card. If, uh, have you got one of those swiper things? Because, uh, you know, we, I can give you more credit card, but I don't carry much cash. And he said, well, no, I mean, you know, this will do. I mean, I said, well, how much were you looking for? He said, well, if I got six, six dollars, I could just go to the shelter. I said, oh, OK. So I reached in my pocket. I took the dollar back, put it back in my pocket. I reached in and gave him a 20. And he said, oh, man, thank you so much. I said, yeah, you can go to the shelter for three and a half days now, right? 
said, yeah, well, but I probably won't do that. I'll probably just go there tonight, and then tomorrow I'll give me a nice meal. I said, well, that's good, man. I said, well, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? And so he picks up, what's going on, Al? So, good. So I asked him if he'd ever heard of Jesus Christ. He picks up his, his wristband, and he's got the I am second wristband, <coughs> which, is, you know, Jesus is first, I am second, which is pretty cool. And, you know, I, I, I think a lot of those guys just run a con because they know that most, most Christians want to give, and so they pretend like they believe in Jesus when they don't. So I kind of question him a little deeper than that. And he he seemed uh, pretty knowledgeable about Christ. But anyway, you're giving to Christ. You're not giving to me. You're not giving to Barah Ministries. You're giving to Christ. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always insightful and always inspiring offering messages. Good evening. Good, evening. Good evening. I don't know if you can hear me or not. Sounds like you can. Anyway, my name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth from the Word of God. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about my prayer life, and I do a lot of praying or a lot of prayers just throughout the day, just small prayers and small things. But I realize a lot of times I'm just asking for weird stuff. It's asking for people to change their mind or asking for things that don't really matter, maybe asking for more money. And I think we all get caught in that trivial pursuit of chasing down more money, and we're hoping to get more money because that's going to solve problems. But really, money and, and changing people's minds is not the way to solve problems. The way to solve problems is to have truth, is to have wisdom. And there's a difference between truth and wisdom because truth is just something you know. But wisdom is, something, is truth in action. It's when you've taken that that truth that you know and applied it. And it's not always easy. It's always easier said than done. But we know that if we ask God in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any one of us lacks wisdom, ask the giving one, our God and Father, who gives to all generously and not grudgingly. He doesn't make fun of you. And wisdom will be given to you by God. So that's what I think I should be praying for more, is for wisdom and for truth. And because... When you think about some things, some truths we know, like grace, a free gift to all mankind, God's inexhaustible, inexhaustible capacity to forgive us and to bless us. Do we do that to others? Do we put that into action? We hear Pastor just did. He kind of crocodile-armed a little bit with the dollar bill. Could have given him the 20 right away. But that's grace in action. That's wisdom. And he can see that that will have, that'll have impact on other people. You know, and how about unconditional love? It's really easy to love conditionally. When people are mean to you, you don't love them back. But that's not God. God loves us no matter what. Loves all the time. So you put that into, put that into action, and you'll see how, how much impact that has on other people. Those of you around, those are kids around you, parents around you, people will see that unconditional love. And then how about forgiveness? It's really easy to talk about it. We know about it. But when somebody does wrongs you, can you forgive them? It's not always easy to do. And I think a lot of times we say it and we act like we're going to do it, but we don't put it into play and make it true wisdom. Christianity is real easy until you have to live it. Exactly. Christianity is easy until you have to live it. Truths are real easy until you have to do it. 
So let's all do it. Let's you know get our hands in our wallet and grab out the twenty instead of the one, and <laughs> and give and give to give to Christ and give to this ministry because this is allowing other people to learn truth and allowing them to have wisdom and allowing them to to live their lives not worried about money because they don't need to worry about money. We need to worry about wisdom and worry about the gospel. And so thank you for always giving to this ministry and supporting the gospel through Barab Ministries. Thank you. Thank you, Deacon Nitty, for that excellent message. Today's Bible lesson, God wants you to learn so you can win. God wants you to learn so you can win. 
you know, one of the things, one of the a guy came up to me at the wedding this weekend, and he said that he had listened to the app. He had listened to some lessons on the app, and I said, what would you think? He said, hey, you're just keeping it real. So he evidently heard what you have to say, you know, real people listening to a real pastor teach the real truth of the Word of God, because that's all we want to do is keep it real. Well, tonight my prayer is that God the Holy Spirit opens your heart. Oh, no, that's, I already did that one, didn't I? Uh, I was about to do the offering again. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, that was the first offering, and uh, that was the first offering. Now that one was inadequate, so we're going to have a second offering so that I can buy a jet uh, to jet around the country. They do that in a lot of churches. Yeah, I would never want a, a jet. Uh, nice Tesla, that would be fine, but jet, no, no dice. All right, so let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12, verse by verse. And what you'll notice from this section of the passage are three things. First, Paul is praying and asking regularly for the Colossian believers. And that's what we ought to be doing as Christians, praying and asking incessantly for supernatural power because it is much more effective than our personal power. Second, Paul is hopeful that believers will know God's will. That's why we bother to come here. We bother to come here to know God's will. We're not coming here to play. We're coming here to know God's will. And finally, Paul wants us to live a lifestyle that is in line with God's will. So what does he want? Find out what the supernatural life is like and then live it. What a concept. Christianity is easy until you have to live it. So Christianity is not just about accumulation of knowledge. It's not just sitting in here and hearing stuff and then being... Uh, hearers of the word, but not effectual doers of the word when we get out into the world. Because we're to go out into the world and light it up. We're to make a difference in every conversation that we have with people. And God does not want us to look like unbelievers when we're having conversations with people. So, when we do that, when we live a lifestyle that's in line with God's will, it will be a winning lifestyle. And that winning lifestyle is called the Christian way of living. Now, Paul prays for spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding among the Colossian believers in this next section of chapter 1. Colossians 1, nine says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard the report of your faith, we have not stopped praying in intercession for all of you. That's what we do when we go into the prayer circle. We petition for ourselves, but we do intercession for others. And what are we trying to do? We know that other people that we know are in human circumstances and they're using their human power. And what we want to do is intercede for them with God and say, God, please bring your supernatural power to their circumstance. Because their human power is not getting it done. You know, we have people in our lives who like singing, for example. And, you know, they, they may be going through a rough patch where their mind is not quite right, you know, and they, you know, they come to church and they fall down and stuff like that. And then they think that maybe there is a natural solution for that. There really isn't. 
But there is a supernatural solution for that. And so what do we do? We go boldly before the throne of grace, and we are praying and asking for God's intercession in that circumstance. Amen? Amen. Amen, Amen. sister. (laughs) It was beautiful. Isn't this skillful? That's very skillful. Continuing in Colossians 1.9, And we have not stopped asking in intercession that all of you may be filled by God with the knowledge of the Father's will. That's why we come here. What is the great planner's will for us? He's always telling us. God the Father is always telling us, I have a will for mankind and I have a personal will for you. Are you listening? with all the spiritual wisdom and understanding that God the Holy Spirit gives. Notice how God does everything. He doesn't require anything of you except that you come to the Word and you say yes to it. But everything you get, if you could admire this by studying the Greek, you would see that virtually everything, when God is talking about you, is communicated in the passive voice. And what is the passive voice? I know you guys were sleeping in English class, and you don't remember what the passive voice was all about, but the passive voice was the subject is being acted upon. So when this says that you'll get all spiritual wisdom and understanding by God the Holy Spirit, by means of his agency, that means that he's doing it to you. You're not doing it to yourself. You're not accumulating it for yourself. He's doing it for you. And that is when things become absolutely amazing. Colossians 1.10. So that all of you, and he's talking about the Colossian believers, <clears throat> will have a Christian lifestyle of purpose to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so as to please him in all respects, to bear fruit in every good work, and to increase in the knowledge of God the Father. This is reaching everywhere into the Bible. Bearing fruit in every good work. That connects to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace in yourself. Patience, kindness, and goodness toward others. Gentleness, kindness, and self-control in your relationship with God. Who gives you the fruit of the Spirit? The Spirit. You don't go out and plant a tree and then pull the fruit off of it. You don't manufacture the fruit on your own. It's God that gives it to you. Everything you need, he gives it to you. And he's just giving you gift after gift after gift. In Colossians 1.10, it says that you'll bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, in every good work. That reaches into Ephesians 2.10. And what does Ephesians 2.10 talk about? You are a work of art. You are God's workmanship. And in eternity past, he laid out a whole series of works that you could do so that you could do what? Walk in them. This connects all over the Bible. These nine or ten verses that connect to 50 or 60 other verses. If I, if I gave you one-third of the reaches that this chapter does, We'd be here for months on nine verses. Months. But that's what we're talking about here. That you bear fruit in every good work 
and increase in the knowledge of God the Father. Why? Because we like settling on an answer about people. We like settling on answers about God, and we think that we know people. We think that we know people because we met them 40 years ago. I am not the same person that I was 40 years ago. I am not the same person that I was 40 minutes ago. But people think they know me. That was one of the great things about being around my family members here. They think they know me. They're still calling me by the name that they called me when I was a kid. They still think I'm that person. So when I got up from dinner and went to the bathroom and then went back to my hotel to go to bed, they don't know this person. They don't know I'm an introvert. They see great social skills. They don't know that I go to bed at 9 o'clock because I have to do a lesson. So I have to get up at 4 o'clock and study so that I can do this lesson. I didn't have to do this. could have just canceled the lesson and done the wedding. I don't have to come here. I choose to come here because this is important. And it's not just important to me. It's important to you. And you're important to me. <clears throat> but people don't want to get to know me. When they find out I'm a pastor, what do they want, what do they want to do? They don't want to ask me any questions. They want to talk at me with the nonsense that they have in their head about God, which is completely inaccurate. They don't understand the difference between Christianity and religion. Standing in front of somebody who's been studying the Word of God for 40 years, they don't have a single question in their mouth. They got all the answers. They got all the answers about God. They got all the answers about me. That's not how to live life. That's not the Christian way of living. We miss so much that way. So that all of you will have a Christian lifestyle of purpose to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so as to please him in all respects, to bear fruit in every good work, and to increase in the knowledge of God the Father. Let's get to know God the Father. In the Christian way of living, God does the work and we get the benefit. And as a result of knowing God's will for mankind and God's will for your life through the study of God's word, you will be amazing. One of the things that always baffles me is when Christians start thinking about what their spiritual gift might be and what's the first thing they want every single time. Please give me the list. Please give me the list of spiritual gifts. Okay, I'll give you the list of spiritual gifts. list of spiritual gifts is in Romans 12, and the list of spiritual gifts is in Ephesians 4, and that's where the bulk of them are. That's how you learn your spiritual gift. You learn your spiritual gift by getting off your butt and doing things that you're motivated to doing to, to do with nobody telling you about it. And then all of a sudden you discover that you can't stop doing that thing. Teaching is that thing for me, and it's been that way for me since I was 21 years old. It was obvious to me that teaching is who I am, not just what I do. I have a friend who has the gift of helps, and she can't not help. And she hasn't figured out that the gift of helps comes with a a very important word, no. There are some things that I will not help with. No. And so because she doesn't have no, because she doesn't have a stop sign on her soul, and because when you have the spiritual gift of helps, you are addicted to helping, 
She overwhelms herself all the time. But you only learn that from action. You only learn it from action. You don't learn it from reading a stupid list in a book. You don't. Our life journey is conducted on a road. And that's why the Christian lifestyle is called a walk. Sometimes we walk. Sometimes we're carried by God. Sometimes we run. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says this, Let us believers in Christ run with endurance the race that is set before us. That whole passage of, of Hebrews 12 is beautiful. We have a cloud of Old Testament witnesses <clears throat> that have, have taught us things. And we are to get on the course and navigate all the obstacles that are going to hit us in the face when we're on that road. Sometimes we have to walk. Sometimes we get knocked down on that road. And what do you do? Get up. You tub thumper. I get knocked down, but I get up again. Think you're ever going to keep me down? Nope. Uh, keep me down. Ain't nothing going to break my stride. Nobody's going to slow me down. Oh, no. I got to keep on moving. What is a walk worthy of the Lord? <laughs> That's Matthew Wilder, in case you were wondering, June. So when you go talk to Alexa, you can say, Alexa, break my play break my stride and then you'll hear it or youtube or whatever electronic thing that you can get to your abacus whatever you have <laughs> what is a walk worthy of the lord it's a lifestyle that is powered by and strengthened by the lord that means that here you are and in you is a supernatural charge that does what? That is pleasing to the Lord, that is bearing fruit for the Lord, that is doing good works for the Lord, that is increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. That's what Hebrew or Colossians 1.10 is talking about. So what is Paul's wish for the Colossians? And what does Paul wish for us as church-age believers in Christ? that we remember Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which says, I, Paul, am confident of this very thing, that God the Father, who began a good work in the creation of you, will keep on perfecting it. Continuous action in the Greek. Will keep on perfecting it until the day of Christ Jesus. And what is the day of Christ Jesus? It's the rapture of the church for us church-age believers the exit resurrection of the church-age believers where all of us are plucked off the earth and meet the Lord in the air. It's the second coming of Christ for the tribulational believers. Paul wants the Colossians and all believers to finish what God started in us. And how do we finish what God started? We don't quit. We don't ever, ever quit. Winston Churchill was asked, to speak at the commencement at Oxford University. That is one of the greatest assignments that any person could ever get. And so he stood in front of the group to a standing ovation. And they were so eager to hear what he had to say. And he stood up in front of them and he said, Don't ever quit. And he sat down. (laughs) 
You know, somebody looked around. <laughs> and they all clapped. And they clapped and they gave him another standing ovation. And he got back up and he came back to the podium and he said, Eva! <laughs> Four-word commencement speech. One of the most powerful commencement speeches ever. And that's what we are to do as Christians. We're to run with endurance the race that is set before us, and we're to never quit. Why would we quit on God? Because of God we are, as Colossians 1.11 says, being strengthened by God with the divine power, the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit, which is absolute and total and complete, almost unimaginable, According to his glorious might, which is divine omnipotence, God has all the power so that you, believers in Christ, might have the greatest possible endurance and the greatest possible patience. And that's what it takes to be a Christian. The greatest possible endurance and the greatest possible patience. Why? Because of people that you deal with who do things that absolutely confound the imagination. God's power allows us believers to demonstrate the implanted fruit of God the Holy Spirit. Paul's letter to the Ephesians echoes a similar sentiment for us believers in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, some of the most powerful words that Paul ever wrote. He says, I, Paul, pray that the eyes of your heart, your spiritual eyes, may be enlightened. Do you ever pray that? God, enlighten my eyes. Do you ever pray for that? No. Hey, God, could I get like, you know, $2.95 more than I made last week because I got to pay for this bill. Like, uh, I don't know why, but my water bill went up like $3. I need a little extra money. But I, Paul, pray that the eyes of your heart, your spiritual eyes may be enlightened so that you will know with absolute confidence the hope Absolute confidence, elpis in Greek, to which he called you. When God called us to Christianity, he called us to a hope. He called us to an absolute confidence because everything he promises comes true. All the time. He's never failed a Christian and he never will. So that you will know the riches of the inheritance he gives to his saints. You believers in Christ, through his glory, you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, reserved for you in heaven. You have a mansion in heaven. Those things don't mean one thing to you today. You know why they don't mean anything to you? Because they are exceeding and abundantly beyond anything you could ever ask or think. So you don't even think about what that could be like. But if you ever do think about it, the thought that you have about it is so small that it could never compare to what it's like to have this inheritance. When you know that you have this kind of inheritance laid up for you in heaven, you ought to walk around with a confidence that staggers the imagination of people. What they ought to be doing is what people love doing when you, you display any confidence whatsoever. Oh, he's cocky. He's cocky. Yeah, no, I'm not cocky. I'm glad. That's what glad looks like. I'm happy because I know for certain 
who it is that I worship and what he has planned for me. And that thing is not small. That thing is large and powerful. And we forget. Why do we forget? Because we don't expose ourselves enough to his word and know what it is saying deep in the bowels of it and what it's communicating to us. We see a word like glory. That doesn't mean anything to us. All glory. Oh, let's go to the Pentecostal church. Uh, Let's raise our hands. All glory. That's not what that word means. That word means a countenance that when you encounter it, you will fall down on your face. When you're absent from the body and face to face with the Lord, the first thing you're going to experience is his glory. You will fall down on your face. You won't even be able to look at him. That's how powerful his glory is. Do you remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? He went up to the guards who came in and he said, Whom do you seek? They said, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said, I am he. And they fell down on their face. Why? Because he showed them a little bit of the glory. Amen? Yeah. You don't want to see that. God put you right on your face. God's power allows us believers to demonstrate the implanted fruit of God the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. Ephesians 119. And so you will know the incomparably great power he gives to us who believe. What is your problem? Well, maybe the problem is you have a lot of kids with a lot of mouths to feed. You think you're doing it? You're not doing it. God's doing it for you. May feel like you're doing it. Because you got to have a scorecard with all them kids. Amen? you got to have uniforms with all those kids. And all those kids can be one. One's just as bad. They're hard. <laughs> if you got eight, one's a cakewalk, isn't it? God's doing the work. And how does he do the work? With incomparably great power that he gives us who believe. These are in, accord- in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Ephesians 1.20, which he brought about in Christ when God the Father raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You have access to the exact same power inside of you, indwelling you, that raised Christ from the dead. What is it that you can't accomplish? The gospel in our lives accomplishes things like steadfastness and patience. And we are filled by God the Holy Spirit to all the fullness that God has to offer. One promise after another promise after another promise. That's what scripture is. As a result, we are, Colossians 1.12, giving thanks with joy to God the Father, who has qualified us believers in Christ to have a share, our own personal portion of the inheritance of the saints, the holy ones, the hagias in Greek, the holy ones who are in union with the light, and the light is our amazing God. The problem is that the lifestyle God has provided is attacked and distorted with a worldview of, from Satan's kingdom. 
What Satan is always looking to do is to dumb down what God has done for you. You willingly take on what he is telling you because that's what you think of yourself. You think too little of yourself. False teachers introduce destructive and seductive heresies. And what, are, what do I mean by seductive? They suck you in. And unfortunately, we adopt parts of this satanic, worldly lifestyle, and we construct a do-it-yourself life, which does not work. We are Teflon in Satan's kingdom. All of his stuff ought to hit us and slide off. But what do we do? We routinely go shop for Velcro. And we put on a Velcro jacket, so all of that worldly crap sticks to us, and we say, you know, it's not that bad. No, it's horrible. It does not belong on you. Amen? Amen. False teachers take advantage of complacent Christians. Are you one? God combats complacency in those who want the truth, to those who expose themselves to truth with spirit-given insight through the Word of God. All truth comes from God. Only truth comes from God. The question I have for you is, do you hear it? Does it penetrate? And then do you go live it? Does it show up in your life every day? Do you discern it? And do you make your decisions based on it? Worthy of thought. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today are a reminder to anyone who does not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reminder is that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. When you hear the words, God wants you, they should hit you like a ton of bricks. You are special to God. And if you decide to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are even more special, according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, which says this, See how great an unconditional love God the Father has given us, believers in Christ, that we would be called children of God the Father. And in fact, we are children of God the Father. For all creatures... Oh, that's all. That's all I have for that. So... This message is your invitation to become a child of God as well. There are people in the world, and you may be one of them, who describe themselves as atheists. An atheist is a person who says there is no supreme being. After hearing these opening comments, an atheist might say, there is no God. God doesn't exist. Philosopher Blaise Pascal, in what is known as Pascal's Wager, says that human beings bet with their lives that God either exists or he does not. And Pascal is right. So if you are an atheist, you would do well to at least consider what the Bible has to say about this issue. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. Even though people think the Bible is just a bunch of stories written by a bunch of guys, the Apostle John makes it clear that the function of the Bible 
is different. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this, These things written here in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life in his name. The Bible is a guide designed to give you the truth. And since atheists are created creatures, human beings, they would do well to be curious about exactly what the Bible is proposing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says, all in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. That's horrible news for an atheist. The good news is that the Lord has an interesting attitude toward all of his creatures, even those who think there is no God. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward you unbelievers, including atheists, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not God's plan that any of the creatures that he created would perish. What is God's plan for the unbeliever, especially for the atheist? The Bible claims that God exists and that God lives in heaven. Well, how can you get to heaven? If you're an atheist and you think Pascal was right, then there is no downside for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, right where you sit, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. God's plan for the unbeliever is outlined in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is an atheist's acknowledgement that if there is a God, it might be smart to place faith in him. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way, and he meant to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, the gospel message, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. No creature can do anything to get to heaven on his own. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this, If salvation is by grace, first class condition if, if and it's true, if salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of works. Grace and works are opposite. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. God's grace makes your salvation a free gift to you. If you have to work for a gift, then the works makes you deserve the gift. In salvation, there's no way for you to impress God enough that he would allow you to save yourself. So it's very wise to let God save you because once God does something, he never changes his mind. John 10, 28 says, I give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in God the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life 
Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Now, who is this God who saves you? He is the only being ever resurrected from the dead. The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Apostle Peter reminds us of the words of the Old Testament prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2, verse 21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. <laughs> if you're an atheist, and you can tell you are if you sneeze a lot, <laughs> I encourage you to keep on investigating to see if you're right about there being no God. And if you're not right, and you think there may be a God, believe in him, because there is plenty of room for you in heaven. Amen? Amen. Plenty of room in heaven. All right, let's close with song. The promise of our almighty God made to the Jewish race applies to all of his believers as well. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 30 and 31 say this. When you, the Jewish race, are in distress... And all these tribulations have come upon you. In the latter days, near to the time of the millennial reign of Christ, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. Deuteronomy 4.31 For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor will he forget the covenant he made with your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which he swore to them. Here's June Murphy to remind us in song what to do when we face similar tribulation. We count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials.
still got it. A little bit. <laughs> Thank you, June. Let's close with the doxology. Words that acknowledge the magnificence of our almighty God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice and blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back because he cares for you. And we know that he cares for you is a Greek idiom and it means that God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for sharing the word with us. We thank you for the way it edifies us. We thank you for the way that it's different from the messages of the world. And we pray that you help us to use it as we go out into the world to see with spiritual eyes, to operate with Teflon, to not let any of the world and its ways stick to us, but instead that we send forth your messages to the world and let the messages of your word stick to them like Velcro. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. Thank you. Go Cardinals.